welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Okay, everybody, well, back again. Got about halfway through this last sheet here, so this is pretty much a continuation from that last podcast, 43. So we're going to pick up uh, with a question here from Sergio Mafia, and he's asking, John, can you please talk about how to get match ready and improve your score? during competition what's the best training schedule and advice um so for me when it came to being tournament ready it was all about practicing how you play and regardless of whether i was shooting 3d or field or target or it really didn't matter the main thing is i would always set up and really focus on practicing on that exact format. Um, On the last podcast, I talked about the importance of if you really want to become a great 3D shooter and competitor, then you really have to go ahead and make that investment of buying those targets and getting out there and making sure you've invested in having the range exactly how you're going to shoot. And the same is true for field. Um, as well as FIDA. When I started shooting FIDA, I bought you know a big 120 centimeter face so that I could have the big, big um, target face and practice at that at 90 meters, 70, 90 meters. Um, and then eventually, in order to up my repetition more, I ended up getting two of them. I built a FIDA range where I would uh, shoot 90 meters down to one target I could pull my arrows and then I would shoot 90 meters down to the other target so I really wasn't doing much walking back down and back I would just walk down pull arrows shoot right back the other direction so I was able to up my repetition quite a bit Um, and the other thing too is you know learning to to condition yourself to shoot the numbers of arrows that you need to based on the tournament you know this is one thing that I kind of had to learn when I started shooting target archery over being a 3d shooter because at a 3d shoot you know you might shoot 20 arrows a day and you normally have quite a bit of time between one target and the next where you only shoot one arrow uh you know when you're shooting 144 arrows in competition for a FIDA shoot and then you've got practice as well you know it's you could be quite burned out if you're not used to that number of arrows per day so what I would always do is I would really get in the habit of trying to shoot uh, about 20% or 30% more arrows per end than what I needed to during the tournament and the reason I did that was because if you get in the habit of only shooting six arrows every end 
then if you end up having a tournament where you're fighting the wind and you might hold back at full draw a little longer or you let down a few times, then technically your body's not used to that shooting eight arrows or pulling back eight times in a row versus six. And a lot of times it, when you're practicing at home, you can your shots execute and your flow and your timing is a lot faster than when you're at a tournament. So you really don't condition that burnout uh, and getting fatigued and you need to be prepared for that so uh, try to shoot more arrows and really what you need to per end in the tournament and also really focus on practicing on the exact types of targets or target faces that you're going to be going up against for me it always took me about three weeks to really get ready for a tournament and that's if I was kind of in my shooting season now you know right now if my shoulder heals up and and I decide to go out and try to see how tournament ready I could get you know it's not going to happen in three weeks Um, and that was the case a lot when I would take the fall and winter off for my hunting season when it came time for me to get ready for indoor season again it it would take a good month to five weeks for me to try to get into that whole swing of things but it's all about just pounding the repetition in the exact format that you tend to to compete in Um, for me when I was really shooting well it was a direct reflection of what my self-image was and a direct reflection of how I was practicing you know when I was practicing really well um, it just even if even if I was if I was practicing well I could almost shoot really well at a tournament just because of my mental image that I had and I would be confident and I would go out and I would be comfortable taking risks and I would have total trust in my shots whereas just like with most people um, if you're not out there practicing enough and you really aren't totally comfortable with how you're shooting then you know if you get to a situation where you might have a little bit of a slump it's easy to to not have that type of um, confidence in yourself to be able to to push through it so you know I really like I really like taking pictures of yourself uh, in good groups when you shoot good when your form is good take pictures of that stuff and put it somewhere where you can see it and where you can look at it and you know I think one one thing that's really helped me uh, as a shooter is the fact that you know I've done so much photography for archery magazines and talking about things and watching myself shoot just because if I'm somewhere in there filming or if I watch it um, or the th- fact that I did film myself a lot for different videos that, that I produced over the years and stuff um, when I look back and see that stuff, it's all confirmation to me about the things that I do right. And it just helps solidify how you see yourself. Um, 
as a shooter, you know, and a lot of people that come off as cocky, I guess, um, you know, there's people in the industry that I think are, that do a lot of talking, but in the end, if they had to do that type of thing in a live situation, it's not going to happen. You know, I've seen a lot of people be able to be awesome shooters when they're filming themselves with their phone but then when they step out on a tournament they get their ass kicked um and that really comes from the fact of for me I was able to just have really good practices I documented them I was able to look at them again a lot of times when I traveled I'd open my laptop I'd look at groups that I shot or if I had um cameras like on the targets where there's just arrows just pounding in the center of the circles um I would look at that and that was a really good mental image for me to visualize and it just helps build confidence and confirmation of how good you're actually shooting at the time you know if you're not shooting good or if I was ever not shooting good, I would immediately go back to looking at myself when I did shoot good because the bottom line is that is what I'm capable of. I just wasn't doing it at the time. So I was always really competitive with myself. And the tournaments, the tournaments were never about the outcome to me. Um, and Maybe I'll change in my older age, but honestly, I don't ever really see myself caring about that because regardless of whether or not I come home with a trophy, for me, it's all about how I shot against myself at these events. Um, I mean, I've certainly won events and I've won a lot of money in archery, but none of it is, none of it is important to me when it comes to how I feel like I performed because I remember how I performed based off my execution and I really believe that my best years in archery um, I wasn't I certainly wasn't a standout winner like Levi's doing right now or or Rio or you know Sarah Lopez you know in the in the FIDA world or world archery world but um, I know that during practice days at home um, there were times where I practiced on 60 meter field faces where I could put a brand new field face up and there were times where I would shoot for two and three hours without ever putting an arrow outside of the gold and when I was doing that, for me, I felt like I was mastering the sport of archery. So when I went to a tournament and uh, got beat by another guy or had a bad shot during a shoot-off round or got a little bit nervous and, and made a, you know, shot a 9 rather than a 10 or whatever it is, that stuff is just like a drop in the bucket. It's such a small reflection of this 
big ocean that I created for myself. And I always looked at my whole, myself as a whole, and I didn't try to look at myself in particular moments. And my tournament success, or I think my tournament preparation, was always pretty solid because that is how I looked at myself. And I, you know, you end up putting a lot less pressure on yourself. Um, you end up eventually learning to accept bad shots and bad breaks. And you just learn to get over it because, like I said, I've learned to, I've, I've come to figure out that, you know, when it when it comes to shooting at a tournament, you know, that stuff's very quickly forgotten. Um, the one thing that you can take with you all the time as a person is being able to pull your bow out of a bow case no matter where you are or what time of year it is and be able to shoot perfect shots and be able to enjoy archery. For me that's the biggest win that I've ever had was when I learned to shoot an effortless shot and just be able to have that release go off as a surprise and watch an arrow tick tock into the spot that I was looking at. I mean, for me, that's success. And I think if more people had that type of mentality, you would find that you would probably have more success at the tournaments um a lot of people beat up themselves at events i don't know how many times i shot against people that i knew that i actually knew deep down were every bit as good as me but as soon as i stepped to the line with them i could just see it in their face that they did not believe in themselves more than I believed in myself and they literally were just handing me the match versus standing there and just shooting for themselves and seeing how the cards may fall so you know that's that's the one thing that you'll have to ask yourself and you'll have to come to terms with Sergio is you know what what are you happy with you know if if your question about being match ready is is all about just winning then i guess that's going to all depend on how you're feeling at that particular day but if you're asking specific to how you can personally be ready and mentally ready i think you know making sure that you go there knowing that you've prepared and doing a good job of reminding yourself about the times that you're doing everything right and just really focus on building that positive mental image of yourself because that's really what's going to get you through everything day by day and for that matter everything in life day by day so hopefully that helps you out um, I guess when it comes to my training schedule um, I just really, I like to shoot in the mornings and I like to shoot at, in the evenings. Um, I shot every morning, you know, normally if I was at a, during a tournament, I would get up about the same time. I'd get up three, four in the morning. I would do some writing, uh, and I would wait for the sun to come up. And as soon as the sun 
crack the horizon, I would be out in the morning and I would be practicing. And then I really liked that last hour of evening to shoot too. Um, when I was working full time, you know, well at that, when I was competing as well, I worked at Matthews, as many of you may know. So for nine years, I was able to go out, you know, during our two breaks and during a full hour of lunch and just shoot arrows. So, you know, I could normally shoot if I shot, uh, if I was getting ready for indoors, I would, you know, like I said earlier, I like to shoot more arrows than what I needed. So I would normally pin up two Vegas faces. So I'd six, I'd shoot six arrows and end instead of three and, you know, shoot six arrows, pull, come back, shoot six more arrows. And, uh, I could shoot a hundred arrows pretty dang easy, uh, during an hour break. Uh, I would, I really wouldn't, the one thing that was nice was in the shooting lanes, uh, the cell phones never worked, so I was able to go back there and know that I didn't even need to take my phone, I would just leave my phone in my office, go back there and just really focus on cracking through some arrows, and that's what a lot of people now are really missing, you know, I um, I was actually talking with with some people fitness people the other day and we talked about this with phones and also with people you know I've got when I go to my gym here you know I kind of just get my headphones on and get in my own little world and you know there's people there that I know look at me like I'm the biggest dick in the place because they continually give me that eye contact of, hey, I want to talk to you for a second. And as soon as I see that, I like kind of turn and intentionally go to a different room and get on something else because I just don't want to be drugged down that rat hole. You know, I've got an hour to get things done and I don't need to waste 15 or 20 minutes of it talking about something that's really not life or death. So it's the same when you shoot, you know, do yourself a favor turn your phone off, put it in airplane mode, and shoot. Take pictures of your good shots, you know, help yourself build that that positive image, but being in the whole mode of continually doing social media stuff while you're trying to really practice from a tournament point of view, um, you're just distracting yourself, and there's no way you're focused. I think if, if you're competing, uh, if you're practicing for competition, you need to have focus. Shut that crap down and do go out there and do what you need to do and have undistracted focus. I think you'll find that your practice sessions will be much more, I guess, much more um, positive for what you're trying to get out of it and you'll you'll find that you'll actually make progress a heck of a lot faster putting a hundred percent in every time versus putting 70 percent in every time uh next question here is going to be from matthew j he's asking about up and downhill shooting um keeping your form consistent not coming out of your peep and maintaining pressure so yeah, shooting up and down hills is something that uh, really teaches you quick when you have breakdowns. You know, a lot of people that kind of start sh- towards the end of the day start shooting low on the targets or, you know, uh, not in relation to hill shooting, but, you know, there's 
several shooters that I've worked with or consulted that, you know, say, well, you know, all of a sudden I just started shooting low out of everything, sort of falling out the bottom. Well, it's a direct reflection of you getting lazy and you're not focusing on your head position. You're kind of falling out of your peep sight. And ultimately, if you move your peep sight, you're moving your groups. So when it comes to up and downhill shooting, you just really need to focus on maintaining your form and really learning to bend at the waist instead of trying to draw your bow back to your face um, at the angle that you need to shoot, especially when you're shooting steeper things. Because what you'll find is um, if you get in the habit of a lot, well, a lot of people get in the habit of just pulling the peep sight back to their eye when they're shooting on hills. You know, you normally don't want to be at full draw very long. So people just want to kind of get their shot to happen fast. So what I found is a lot of people will just draw their bow back and just bring that peep right back to their eye and they don't have any focus on where their actual anchor position is, which your anchor position is everything. So you need to anchor first and then adjust your head to look correctly through your peep sight. You don't want to do it the other way around. Otherwise, when you're shooting uphill, if you pull your peep back to your eye, you'll find that your anchor position, if you were to draw back pointing up in the air and then you straighten yourself out to level ground, you'd find that your anchor position is actually lower than what you would want it to be. And then if you shoot straight downhill, you'll find that if you pull your peep back to your eye and then straighten up, a lot of times you're actually higher on your anchor than what you want to be. So you know, learning to draw back, anchor, adjust your head so you're looking directly through your peep. You make your halo with your peep in your front sight, and then you bend at your waist and acquire the target. If they're really steep targets, a lot of times I would kind of cut the difference just so I didn't have to bend as far. Um, and then also, you know, one thing that can really help you in shooting on hills is getting in the habit of actually practicing with your target um, at different levels off the ground. You know, a lot of people really struggle when they start having to have their bow hand above their shoulder or even below their waist because their arm is so used to being in an exact position all the time. You know, it's kind of like if you were working out and all you did every single time was go in and get a 30 pound dumbbell and do curls every single time it would get extremely easy but what happens when all of a sudden someone gives you a 35 pound dumbbell and tells you to do it you know for two or three sets well obviously it's going to be really hard and you're going to you're going to be completely spent and burned out because your body hasn't learned that it needed to adapt so the same is true for shooting you need to really get in the habit of you know, if you live on somewhat of a slope, you know, practice for a week shooting uphill and then practice for a week shooting downhill or shoot uphill half the day and downhill half the day and get in the habit of doing that. Um, because then once you get to those shots where you have to shoot up or downhill, your shoulder muscles are going to be uh, used to being able to do it. You know, I used to try to get in the habit of like when I shot indoors, you know, I would practice some days with my target all the way at the top of the target, but you know, the very top edge. And then, um, that way, you know, when you go to Vegas and you're 
have to share your target button, you're flipping from the top to the bottom or then from the bottom to the top, um, you're used to actually aiming at a different spot on that bale other than perfectly level with your body. It makes a huge difference. The other thing too is, you know, shooting up and down hills is all about going out and doing your homework and practicing and learning how you need to shoot. Um, you know, my old house, when I practiced for like my first world field competition, I knew we were going to have some incredibly tough shots. So I actually would shoot from the top of my two-story roof um, at 10 and 15 meter bunny targets straight down on the ground. Um, I practiced a lot of that so I could get used to not only um, not only how I felt while holding, but how I needed to draw my bow and, and where my bow hit at those distances, you know, because um, some of the shots, you know, I've got pictures of making 30 and 40 meter shots um, that were actually only 10 meters, 15 meters you know, on a straight horizontal plane from where I was standing. So the distances were, you know, close to double almost. But, you know, you learn how to actually make those shots from doing your homework and knowing what your bow's doing at those different distances. So hopefully that helps you guys out when it comes to uh, hill shooting. And the other thing, too, is... Um, getting a program and getting an inclinometer you can get a small little inclinometer and you can um, stick it to the side of your range finder and those are really nice because then as you're ranging up you can squeeze the button and look at that and it'll show you on the side what the actual degree is so you'll be able to say okay well that's a 30 degree shot and you can kind of if you practice that way for those of you who are field shooters um, you can actually use James Park's uh, Accurate Sights program to print off uh, like your ballistic drops and your cuts for what you need for a certain degree of angle. And if you use that inclinometer during your practice sessions and start to learn what 20 degrees is and 40 degrees and 30 degrees, then you can slowly start to memorize what your cut chart is so you know what percentage to take off of your shot when you're shooting an 80 minute or an 80 you know an 80 meter face on a 22 degree angle so uh, it's all about doing your homework and that's what i really loved about field archery is that it always gives you some homework to take home and you learn your bow and you learn yourself so much better than when you're just shooting at 45 and 50 yard max shots on real slight inclines or declines, not necessarily hills. Uh, next question here is from Gabe Donat, and he said, first off, saying thanks for the Memorial Day special that we ran. Um, definitely no problem on that. Uh, certainly, you know, one of my one of my favorite holidays. Um, you know, I just, I appreciate all the soldiers out there, um, sacrifice. And I know we've got so many, um, people on the knock on staff, um, for the TV show, as well as so many of my knock on friends or our military people. And definitely, you know, I wish I could do more because what I did, certainly not enough. I know that. So, um, okay. So now you're asking, 
Um, saying you're finally executing a surprise release 99% of the time, but now you're having issues keeping the pin steady on longer holds and waiting for the release to go off. You think it's either stabilizer or breathing issues. Um, so I guess you're saying, what should your pin do under perfect stabilized and breath conditions? Well, um, typically I breathe in as I'm kind of coming to full draw and kind of getting my anchor and peep. Then from there, once I settle into my peep and level my sight, get my sight to the target, I pretty much just completely relax my breathing and almost just go to kind of holding my breath and slowly letting my breath out. Because once I've engaged my trigger, my shots normally go, go off from about four to seven seconds. I found that anything over that, you know, you tend to start to run out of oxygen, your vision starts to to get a little bit worse, and, you know, it just seems like things start to break down. My total shot sequence from, like, when I grab my release and start to raise my bow is about 12 to 14 seconds. So about half of that time, I'm actually on my trigger and pulling through, and for that matter, pretty much kind of holding my breath or controlling my breath. Um, I talked about pin movement on the last podcast, so that's pretty relative to this right here. You know what I believe, what I like about stabilizer setups is I do like some weight. I don't like a real heavy setup. That's just my personal uh, preference. Um, I've played a lot with stabilization in the past, and what I found for me is keeping the weight closer to the center of my hand. Uh, helps me for stability and also prevents it from starting to get sway back and forth. You know, I've got a really long draw length, so any weight that I continue to put further out on my bow, it really starts to get sway in my bow, and it just torsionally feels more flexible than if I keep everything closer to center. So I I keep things fairly light, keep it fairly close to center, and. Uh, I'm really happy with that, but that's just my personal um, preference. You know, stabilization, I get asked this all the time, and it's, I guess I need to probably do a podcast with someone specializing in this a little bit better. But for me, I've just had a feel that I know that I've tried and tested over the years that I like. It allows me to keep my form in check. Uh, A lot of people that just kind of end up putting their too much weight out on the end of their stabilizer ends up uh, they end up changing their form in order to hold that much weight out there and I don't think that's beneficial so you know you really got to go out there and try it but for me I found that keeping weight closer to the center of my hand and keeping it at a maintainable Weight And another thing, too, is if you know deep down that you're not able to practice five, six times a a week, then having a really heavy bow is not going to benefit you. You know, so many, so many guys and especially women and kids, you know, they want to shoot these cool stabilizer setups and they have this heavy stabilizer and they're used to going out and practice practicing or shooting for you know 20 or 30 minutes a day well then they get to a tournament where they're out on that course dragging that thing around for three and four hours and they feel like they can barely lift it up so 
They've literally put a piece of equipment in their hand that's going to make them perform less, not more, because all it does is just drag you down and weigh you down. So be careful on that. You know, there's so much marketing right now and stabilizers, and so many people are spending a crap load of money on just heavy weight, and all it's doing is freaking weighing down your form, in my opinion. Um, got another question here from Tony Thompson. So Tony says, hey, Dud, here in the UK. Um, hey, buddy, love the UK. Uh, kind of miss it over there, as you guys know. Found my wife over that way, so definitely have a little bit partial to the UK. Um, started archery a bit later in life, and now your target archer said that you're a master bowman level uh, in the UK and wanting to know how to keep my form and level consistent after achieving wins. Um, you said that at the recent competitions, you've been doing quite good. Um, so other archers are recognizing that. So um, you're trying to debate whether or not you're actually shooting well or whether or not you're just having a few lucky arrows and winning a trophy. Um, what changes within oneself? Um, I guess to uh, always seem to... Well, I guess you're saying that a lot of times you're just thinking that you're winning on behalf of luck. Um, so you kind of want to know how do you get past that and know that you're actually being consistent. Well, you know, it's kind of the same thing that I talked about a little bit earlier. Um, I can't remember now if it was this podcast or the last podcast where I was talking about what my personal feelings are towards, you know, winning a medal or winning a, a trophy. You know, I just, I put the emphasis on how I'm shooting as a person, whether or not I'm making progress and whether or not I'm making, um, I guess whether I'm making progress and whether I'm completing my goals. If I'm doing either one of those, I'm happy because there's tournaments where I go there with a goal in mind that really doesn't have any relevance to actually performance at that tournament. You know, I found, I call it selective cycling. Um, I just found that as a competitor, there's certain types of year, certain times of the year where there's certain things that you need to work on. You know, there was like, for example, a lot of times those first, um, outdoor tournaments of the year, you know, I'm just really focusing on trying to, um, trying to make sure that I'm getting along well with maybe a new scope or a new lens that's on the market or really trying to, f you know, find the right match for a certain arrow. Um, you know, there's, or if I end up trying a different release, you know, a lot of times those first tournaments, I'm working on the details, the small details, not necessarily, uh, the overall picture. So I've learned to accept the times where maybe you're not doing good. But then again, you know, if you're to the point where you're starting to win, here's the thing. The last thing you want to do is think about what someone else is doing. It doesn't matter. If you're going out and you're doing the things that you want to do and you're winning, it doesn't matter at all whether or not it's luck or anything else. 
I mean, if you're out there just to win, then you're getting exactly what you want out of it. But if you're just out there to have fun and shoot and you're trying to decide what level of archer you are, well, obviously you're an improving archer and that's a great place to be. Um, you know, it's for me, being able to go out and make improvements is one of the most satisfa- satisfying parts of archery. You know, it's sometimes it's hard to get into those tight those time zones where you're improving all the time sometimes you get in these ruts of just kind of being at the same level all the time and you know you're trying to weigh out well is this is this good enough am i happy with this because i'm doing really well or do i want to make a major change to try to get a whole new level of success and try to, you know, push the envelope a little bit more. So, um, you know, once once you're at the point where you are winning, then I guess for me what made it hard to stay at that winning level is when I put all the emphasis on just wanting to win a check or just wanting to win a trophy because then you start to put outside pressure on yourself. When I would go there and just really focusing on completing my goals and trying to achieve small stepping stones that I set out in front of myself for maybe one big goal at the end of the year, uh, then I, I was happy. It was all, always easier for me to make small steps to get to the top rather than to try to just jump up there. Uh, next question here is from Darren McNeil. He's um, <laughs> asking anything on marriage guidance. Uh, hopefully you're not in true need of marriage guidance but i guess if you if you are the one thing i can i can tell you is um you know i've learned from experience myself and you know i'm really fortunate right now to have uh the right wife um and i can tell you that you know sharon actually taught me something um a lot of times she'll say stuff and I don't really want to think about it until later on when I'm by myself and I'll think about it. Um, But one time I had read something that said, you know, behind every man is a good woman. And I remember saying that to her and she just said, no, in front of every man is a good woman. So it's, uh, you know, you look at it from that perspective and, and I, I do believe that's the case. Um, Sharon is, probably the best filter I have and the more trust you can put on them and you know learning to learning to really accept the fact that if you have a good woman um, learning to trust them is really a benefit to you I know that for me she's like my whole second half so she is there's been times where I don't listen to her um, especially when it comes to judging people's character and she seems to always be right so uh, I guess the one thing that I had to learn to do better that's really helped uh, our marriage is uh, you know just get it out of the Bible you know be be quick to listen and slow to speak it's pretty good words right there if you if you do that and uh, try to look at everything as a 50-50 and um, then I think you're going to be in pretty dang good shape. So 
Uh, next question here is from Aiden Ellis. He's uh, asking, will the retina lock become available on a target site? I do hope so. I think I maybe answered this earlier. I do hope so for sure. Uh, we've, we've actually been talking with World Archery about that, making sure that it's legal. And uh, I do hope that's something that comes down the line here. So um, I had a question that came in. Um, the person doesn't really want to have his name thrown out there, but it was a question in regards to starting a pro shop. He was kind of wondering about... Um, you know some of the processes to that maybe the do's and don'ts um not going to go into super detail about it but you know as some of you may know i worked for an archery shop um for quite a while and then i started my own archery shop and had my own archery shop for about a year before ended up um, getting offered that job um, internally at matthew so i ended up closing my shop to go work there but um the one thing I'll tell you right now, what's really important if you're considering opening an archery shop is one, making sure that you're going to invest in learning the true mechanics uh, to the trade. You need to almost go out and invest in dealer schools and coaching, um, as well as maybe even, you know, try to find some people that are successful in the archery business um maybe not in your area but maybe you go to a reputable shop and you know try to see if you can find someone to spend a day with to learn the do's and don'ts a lot of people buy a lot of useless stuff when they open a business they spend a lot of money in areas that end up not being profitable and being dead space um, so it's important to learn that but it's also important that you know that in your area you're able to get the key things that are going to make you survive i mean if you're looking to open a bow shop you don't want to put it up in an area where you haven't done research and you come to find out that you can't get the major bow lines you know you need to have a major bow line that's gonna that offers you some protection because obviously if you're going to sell a bow that's available in walmart or that anyone can order over the internet uh, you're going to struggle to make profit um, you know when it comes to archery shops having the expertise of really knowing how to help people and work with people and get them shooting better and getting their equipment better that's what's most important that's what really makes you a, a pro shop if all you're going to do is take a little bit of time to set people up and you're not going to invest in getting people set up the right way then really you're no different than someone ordering online so then it's just a matter of uh, going after price so you know do some research you need to make sure you talk with the reps um, a lot of better bow companies have about a 25 or 30 mile protected radius for their dealerships just so people aren't right on top of one another so you really need to talk with people about finding that open area um, and making sure that you can get bow lines or bow brands that are going to be, one, in demand, and two, ones that you're going to be able to make some profit with. And then from there, you know, the one thing that I can tell you that's important is having a good shooting staff around you. So much of my success with knock on is all about the people that are around me um 
you know, when it comes to the TV show, you know, myself and, and Antoine, I mean, we, we work together to get a final product that people like, you know, if I wasn't able to have someone like him to where I told him what my vision was on the episode and I was able to lay out what I want and then him create it for me, if I wasn't able to do that, then ultimately I wouldn't have the same production. Same is true when it comes to the knock on archery side. You know, Sharon totally runs that whole clothing side of things. So when it comes to design and look and being able to get stuff out, you know, I have to rely on her to be able to do that. And, you know, I, you have to have good people around you. And when it comes to filming, you know, all of our hunts, if I didn't have all the different staff members that I have with me, there's just no way I could do it. You know, it's, it's the people around you that make things work. So if you're going to start a pro shop, trying to find some great shooters out there, you know, I look, I look at the different people, um, friends on Facebook that just love to promote archery. You know, you got the, you got the Justin Peaks or you got the, um, Tom Collins is out there or the Justin Ertles or, you know, you got, um, you got drama and mama, you know, you got all these people out there that are doing such a good job promoting their local areas, their local shops and their local brands. Those people are the kinds of people you have to find. A lot of shops nowadays, um, have kind of got a bad taste in their mouth about, um, pro shooters or shop shooters taking all the time and you got to take responsibility as a pro or as a shooter to not consume all the time you got to make sure it's a two-way street but if you start a shop you have to find those types of people and make dang sure that you support them because they're the ones that are going to draw people to your shop and they're also the ones that are going to be able to go in there and stay late for you when you have a bunch of people show up and you got four dozen extra arrows to fletch and no one's there to help you because those are the people you'll be able to grab from the shooting lanes and be able to help you out and also be able to help sell bows for you on the field rather than on your floor. You know, it's nice when you have a shooting staff that's out there giving people the pros and cons to the bows uh, at the tournaments so that you're not having to spend hours trying to make a sale on your sales floor. So that would be a bit of advice from me. And the last question I got here is from uh, Philip Johnson. You just are asking about some goals for turning pro. So I'm just going to give you a quick rundown here. When I turned pro, my first goal was to shoot above 400. Yeah, you know, I figured as a 3D archer, if I could shoot above 400, then I was going to be happy. Um, my next goal, I really had five goals that year, shoot above 400. My next goal is make a shoot off. Uh, the third goal I had was um, to be able to make a check. Uh, my fourth goal was um, to try to win a tournament. And then my fifth goal was to win rookie of the year. And that was really what my goals were. But um those goals were more or less set in that order. I set them for myself. So 
the very first tournament I went to, my whole focus was shooting above a 400. And I remember I ended up shooting a 402. It was in Abilene, Texas at the Cabela's shoot at the NABH tournament. And that was as an open pro. And um, interestingly enough, I was actually on, um, on a national team um, with Shannon Cottle, Ken Likens, and Randy Chapel. They knew that I was a real um, promising young shooter coming up, so they selected me as their fourth member on their team. Well, I ended up shooting the 402, um, which ended up putting me in the top 10. So I actually made a check. I shot above my 402, and uh, we ended up being the highest score for the team round as well. So I completed several goals by simply focusing on the one. And when it comes to goal setting, set realistic goals and set ones that build on themselves. And, you know, look at it as a big staircase. You want to take steps to getting to the top. You don't want to try to jump there. Jumping there is what will happen is a lot of times you're going to jump and you're not going to land anywhere. It's going to get discouraging. Um, And then, you know, I just... After I completed those three goals, I was really focused on, you know, I kind of upped my thing. Well, I want to shoot, you know, a 408. Well, once I got that, I ended up, you know, getting my first win. And then ultimately, um, because of all those small goals of what I set for myself, I ended up winning the Rookie of the Year as well. So, you know, goals are all about things that help you get to your high point you know focus on all of those small things and write them down what does it take for me to get there the other thing is it was always a goal of mine and this regardless of what you want for performance a goal of mine that I think is critical is that I always wanted to make my weakest point my strongest and that's something that I think if you focus on you're going to get huge benefits from Whatever I felt like my weakest part of my archery was, I really focused each and every day to try to do that exact thing so that I would get comfortable with it. And ideally, if you're continually making your weakest point your strongest, then what you'll find is you're just continually improving. So I appreciate everyone listening. Make sure if you've got uh, time to go on to the Knock on Archery website, Uh, I've got some cool stuff on there for sale um we are going to be getting some shipments here soon um we've got had a few things that have been out of stock um so we definitely are going to be getting replenished here fairly quickly on several things including veins and some of the newer style shirts but uh be sure to support us go on there check out some of our gear and uh thanks everybody so much appreciate it knock on everybody Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com